0: We were vicious in protecting American industry. Uh, We we knew that our other leaders, right, the the prime minister in Germany, the president in France, they were working for their companies. We wanted to make sure that America was doing its part. And so as Secretary of State, I did that. And we always loved uh, working with these firms around the world and these governments to make sure Americans got a clean shot at this competition any place in the world, knowing that if we competed on a pretty level playing field, good things would happen.
1: Welcome to the Beyond Speaking podcast from Premier Speakers Bureau, featuring in-depth conversations with the world's most in-demand keynote speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, president of Premier Speakers Bureau. Our guest today is Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Uh, Secretary Pompeo served as Secretary of State under President Donald Trump. Uh, Prior to that, he served as President Trump's CIA director. Before that, his time in the executive branch, he was elected for four terms in Congress, representing Kansas 4th District. Prior to that, he founded an aircraft part manufacturing firm, uh, firm, Thayer Aerospace, in Wichita, Kansas. He's got a degree from Harvard Law, uh, served as a U.S. Army tank platoon leader, uh, retired from active duty military service with the rank of captain, and graduated first in his class at West Point. His career has seen him lead men in West Berlin during the Cold War, lead a machine shop floor in Kansas, and most recently lead the CIA and the Department of State. So Secretary Pompeo, thank you so much for joining us. Brian, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me with you today. Well, uh, we're, we're definitely glad to have you. Um, you know, most people uh, know of you as Secretary of State and Director of the CIA, but you've also got this very strong business gra- background. How do you feel that uh, that business background and entrepreneurship background has shaped you? Boy, it, it impacted my job at both of those places. It informed a lot of what I did. Uh, a big chunk
0: of American power, and indeed, a big chunk of geopolitical strategy is economic think the challenges we face today with China, those are mostly economic challenges. Think of uh, the work we did to confront the Iranians and build out the Abraham Accords. Those were often economic problems. And so the fact that I had run uh, two industrial manufacturing companies, albeit them small firms uh, with a couple hundred people, I, I you know had to sign the front side of the paycheck, knew about risk, also came to understand what it was to have uh, your taxes in a place in a regulatory environment that was too harsh, uh, I saw that all, and it was really helpful as I traveled the world trying to deliver security for the American people to have that economic background, that business background as part of my portfolio.
1: Do other leaders, uh, would? Did they look at you differently with you having that business background? A hundred
0: percent. They would all have done their homework about Thayer Aerospace or Century International. They would say, oh my gosh, you were from the airplane business or the air part, airplane part manufacturing business or from the oil and gas industry, and they would want to talk about that because... You know, we would we would often talk about, you know, department of events and military stuff, but it was almost always about how are they going to turn the lights on in their country? How are they going to get the energy they need? How are they going to get their economy going? They, they wanted to be close to America, partly for our security umbrella, but most often because of our economic might and our technology and our university system. So those are the things that really drove American power. And they knew that I had experienced that from the other side before government service.
1: So your government service was obviously incredibly impressive. If you could go back to your business self, uh, to, to that, go back and talk, talk to that guy, what advice would you give him? Well, that's what I'm doing today. <laughs> now, <laughs> now that I'm an unemployed former diplomat. <laughs> what, what
0: would I give them today? Uh, I, don't, I don't know that the advice would be terribly different uh, than the things that I talked about even when I was in government. Uh, we, we, we need an environment where supply chains work where we are comfortably diversified in a way that there's not an, an enormous amount of risk, not not for political or security reasons, but as an economic matter. That is, I think it is in every company's own shareholder value creation model that says we need a supply chain that can deliver even in a stressed environment. That mm-hmm. so what happened to some companies in Russia. We've seen what happened to American companies in China. We need to make sure that those supply chains are properly situated, not all here in the United States, but properly situated to provide High level of confidence in quality. High level of confidence in the capacity to deliver, even in an international space that is probably more uncertain than at any time in recent history. As Secretary of State, what did you do to help American businesses? I spent a lot of time on it. It was some of the things that I, some of the work that I did that was most fun. People <laughs> don't appreciate that the Secretary of State has an Undersecretary. So you have six Undersecretaries. One of them is the Undersecretary for Economic Affairs. Mine was a fellow named Keith Crock. And we worked on lots of projects uh, trying to help American companies, even small American companies, as they were trying to figure out how to work their way through problems around the world. You know, not, not many companies don't have some international customer base, some international supply base. Uh, often they have currency issues. And we wanted the State Department to defend American companies in ways that, frankly, the State Department hadn't done for an awfully long time. Uh, we, were, we were vicious. In protecting American industry. Uh, we, we knew that our other leaders, right, the, the prime minister in Germany, the president in France, they were working for their companies. We wanted to make sure that America was doing its part. And so Secretary of State, I did that. And we always loved uh, working with these firms around the world and these governments to make sure Americans got a clean shot at this competi- at competition, any place in the world, knowing that if we competed on a pretty level
1: playing field, good things would happen what uh, i know we, you do a lot of speaking for financial companies what can financial companies do to set themselves up for success in today's environment good information systems so they have a, a complex understanding of what's taking place
0: especially some of the largest financial institutions that are truly dealing in a global space second um it's very important that we all put uh, systems in place that adequately secure our information that is getting harder and harder to do but we were always mindful and we wanted to help our partners all across the world. This wasn't an American phenomenon. Uh, the, the West, those of us trying to work on basic property rights, protection of information, data security, all of those things, uh, companies need to make sure that they are both uh, demanding that policymakers provide assistance to them in their home country, but that they're also investing in those things because the the coin of the realm today with data and quantum and AI involves things that are subject to attack from our adversaries. And we need to make sure that that information is capable of being kept in the channels, which is intended to be kept in. The last thing I'd say is there's just enormous opportunity out there. When we get this right, and I'm convinced the world is going to get this right, uh, the next billion people have to be fed. They're going to want to be entertained. They're going to want to grow. They're going to want to invest. And so the world's financial institutions will be at the center of making sure that we can do that in the face of lots of challenges, challenges from climate change, challenges from international conflict, a challenge from from all the uncertainties. We we went through a global pandemic in the final 16 months, right, in eight of the last 16 months of my time in service. Uh, So these are things that no one expects, and every financial institution ought to be doing the things they can to make sure they are
1: sufficiently resilient to withstand that level of uncertainty. What do you believe are the biggest challenges facing business leaders in general today? I think they're just trying to find
0: that 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 solid bottom, and when I said the solid, some, something foundational that they can stand on. Tell me what the rules are. Tell me what we're going to be dealing with, whether that's inflation data or uh, whether that's uh, technology issues, uh, regulatory conflict issues between even our friends, even the United States and Europe, uh, data privacy rules. I know drive. Lots and lots of companies crazy because uh, the, the Europeans have one set of rules and the United States has another. I, I think business leaders are just clamoring for enough stability in the rule system where they can then begin to, to invest in a way that is rational and will meet the needs five, 10 years from now. Lots of change in that regulatory environment creates uncertainty for these companies and it
1: doesn't maximize their capacity to deliver for their employees and their shareholders. So last question, I know there's a lot to be worried about out there. Um, From a business perspective, what are you most excited about right now? You know, in in America, I'm most excited that I
0: think we are beginning to think about how to retool our educational system. So we often talk about capital flows that matters. Uh, Labor markets matter too. And we need to make sure we, those of us who believe in basic human dignity, uh, good places to work, uh, we need to make sure we have a labor force that is prepared to meet the challenges of this next 20 and 40 and 60 years. So in the United States, as I watch our schools beginning to think about how are we going to meet the needs of the next generation of students? How do, we, how do we match the needs for workforce with the desires of the next generation? I think the United States is starting to get its hands around this with school choice opportunities and the like that will really be good. And they will allow us to continue to grow uh, our economy in ways that matter. In America, we're $31 trillion in the hole here in the United States. Uh, we have got to figure a way to grow GDP at a rate with inflation sufficiently low that we can climb our way out of this impending debt debt problem that we face. And I, I think our schools are the place that that all begins because a productive workforce is the ultimate answer for solving America's deficit problems.
1: Well, Secretary Pompeo, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights and wisdom for, for uh, the business community, and uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Bless you. Have a good day. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. To learn more about today's guests, visit Premierspeakers.com. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen.